0: I am quite excited to have you here. We have a great show for you today. Every week, I talk with friends, family, experts about news, policy, sports, culture, and whatever else I find interesting. This week, I read a tweet that said something like, all dads have two responsibilities, to provide for their families and to be interested in World War II. Pretty good, right? Anyway, I'm not a father yet, but I am interested in World War II, and I always have been. I can remember watching Band of Brothers in high school and being mesmerized by it. One of the most striking things about that show, having rewatched it a few times now, is that the show makes an effort not to glorify the war. It shows the horror of the war from gruesome injuries and deaths to the discovery and liberation of a concentration camp. While it does not glorify the war itself, it does glorify the heroic acts of the ordinary people who were swept up into the events of the war. Beyond the battlefield, ordinary ordinary people across Europe and beyond were swept up into the war as well, their lives inexorably altered by the course of events. Some of those ordinary people were children, and some of them became heroes too. My guest today is here to share one of those stories. This week, I am thrilled to welcome one of my favorite people in the whole entire world, Rachel Minyak. She is many things. She is an artist, an aerialist, an archivist, and she is also the creator of the newest workshop production from Pointless Theater ty- titled "And I'm I'm." <laughs> hold me accountable here. Un kilot- <clears throat> Let's take that again. Un kilomètre pied. Un uh. ki-
1: Un kilomètre à pied.
0: Un kilomètre pied.
1: One kilometer by foot. <laughs> <one. laughs>
0: I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, this show, st- <laughs> this show is amazing, and uh, and and we'll get by the end of this episode. I promise you, I will know how to pronounce the title. Um, this show follows the true story of Rachel's grandmother, who bravely led a group of Jewish children over the French border into Switzerland during World War II. Rachel Minnick, welcome to the show.
1: Hi. This hi. is hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you, Frank.
0: I'm so excited to have you. It's so lovely to speak to you this evening.
1: Yeah. And apparently listening to you introducing me, I'm like, I only excel in things that start with A.
0: Yes. Yes. It was very important for me to keep the alliteration. Yeah. Very important. Um, and some sometime I was uh, while I was preparing this intro and preparing for this episode I was like we need to talk about your archival work because it's so do you want to speak to it just briefly here at the beginning of the episode
1: I mean I I love talking about archives it's you know, my, my day job. And I also, it's, it's a passion of mine. I, I, I never know how much people know about archives and what archives are. So I don't know if we want to jump into it now or later. That's the question. Okay. Okay. Fair yeah. enough.
0: Fair enough. Like, but it's like a natural national treasure sort of situation, right? You're kind of like a <laughs> Nicolas Cage type
1: character. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, no, cool. but you know, I was in national treasure too, as an extra. So you- you were Clearly.
0: on on the uh, University of Maryland Mall, right?
1: Yes. Natty Nettie wow. Tresh, too. Um,
0: <laughs> Nettie Tresh, too. It's, it,
1: you know, everyone needs their wow. three seconds of fame. And yeah. That was mine. I walk right behind Nicholas Cage's head.
0: Wow. Um, you know, wow.
1: That's what it means to be an archivist, didn't you know?
0: That, maybe we should do, I mean, we should do a whole episode on National Treasure, too. I mean... Should
1: we it's not we? as
0: it's not as important as the story of your heroic grandmother, but um, you know, it's it's also it's pretty important, you know. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um well thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive right in. First of all, what's the title of the show again? The,
1: the title of the show is uh one uh-huh. uh Kilometre.
0: Kilometre.
1: A pied. A pied. And what does that mean? One kilometer by foot.
0: One kilometer by foot. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I want to get into why it's titled that. Mm -hmm. Um, But first, who was Jean Goethe?
1: So... Jean Gyrta, or Jeanne Gyrta, um was my grandmother. I knew her as Jean Schwartz because that was her married name. And um, she was actually not born with the name Jean because mm. she was born in Poland. And so her name when she was born was actually Jurochma. Mm. And she was called Irka by her friends in Poland. Um, but when she moved to France and I I mean we can obviously go through a little bit totally. of that history. Yeah. Um when she moved to France, they they changed her name. Hmm. Her whole family, everyone in her family had their names changed to be French names because you couldn't live in France at the time without something I think it was like it had to be on the saints calendar. So
0: oh, they interesting. a name
1: that started with a J because her name had sort of started with a J and so that's how she became known as Jeanne and then in English, it's pronounced Jean. So, huh. yeah, that's my that's my mom's mom, and your I mom? always called her Bubby. She was my Bubby,
0: mm. which is
1: grandma in Yiddish. So.
0: What was your Bubby like? <sighs> what is your Bubby like? Because she, while <laughs> while she might not be with us now yeah. physically, she is still with us in in spirit very much.
1: Yeah, I mean, my Bubby was she was not a tall woman. I mean, oh, was, interesting. Yeah, no, she was not a okay. tall woman, but she she had a, a, like an immense presence to her. Mm-hmm. She was incredibly glamorous in my eyes. She was always very well dressed, <laughs> um, always wore beautiful jewelry, was, you know, well made up. And um, and the thing that I, I I always remember, she had the most incredible hands. I mm-hmm. don't know, like it's just one like the small things I always like think about my grandmother's hands and like mm-hmm. she had the most beautiful hands. Um, which is only funny because she was an avid gardener. So, huh. so she was always in the garden, you know, she lived in Southern California when, um, when I was growing up, cause that's where my mother grew up. And so she could keep this like beautiful garden all year round because huh. near LA, you know, you have this amazing weather. So that's, you know, that's the, my memories of my grandmother as a, when I was very young were of her in the garden.
0: Huh. You That's know. beautiful. But, um, yeah. When was the first time? So she has a story, obviously, yeah. which I alluded to, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to talk about you, like, because <laughs> I think it's important. Like, we're obviously her life was really shaped by that, but like. Your mom's life was shaped by it, your family's life has been shaped by it. So what when was the first time you heard her story? Can you like take me back there?
1: You know, honestly, I have no idea. I huh. really can't say. I know that in the third grade, we were asked to write a story about our heroes. And oh wow. I and I I really when I was working on this project, I went back through all of my childhood papers because I wrote I wrote a story about her hmm. and I wrote about her, her journey, um, crossing the border and, you know, and I have this vivid picture in my mind of what that report looked like. Cause I like included little drawings on it and I couldn't find it anywhere. I swear. I like looked I looked in my parents' wow. basement. I looked uh. everywhere. I couldn't find it. Um, but yeah, I can't tell you like, Oh, I remember hearing it for the first time. Then it was just like, it was just a part of our family history. And, in my family, especially my grandfather, who Leon Schwartz, who is her husband, has always he was always very um interested in family history and wrote our family memoirs and kept in touch with family all over the world. And so I feel like these family stories were always like a huge part of my childhood. So I can't I can't like pinpoint like that. oh yeah I remember we were sitting in the kitchen and we heard the story I you know like I don't have that. Moment. It was just
0: a part of the the fabric of your life from yeah. pretty much as, as long as you can remember.
1: Yeah, and I feel yeah. you know especially hearing about the Holocaust and talking about yeah. the Holocaust as a child we always you know being only a generation or two away from right.
0: it right
1: it was just something that we new and experienced as children, and were aware of, and I think that's not the case any. I don't think that's the case anymore. But like,
0: yeah.
1: you know, is um, it
0: something not to get into your personal life too much? But like, <laughs> is it something you've talked? You have two kids. Is I it do. something you've talked about with your kids yet? Because well, I imagine Nora is too young, and Charlie yeah. is probably too yeah, young. Yeah, so too. Charlie's
1: four and a half, and. You know, I I don't really think so. I don't really yeah. think we've talked to him about that. Yeah. Um.
0: Do you think he'll watch the show?
1: Yeah, I've, I've shown him parts of it. Oh, cool. So it's Does he definitely, like it? uh, yeah, I, I think so. I'll Good. Look. It was Good. something on a screen, so yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he was already primed to like it. A- um, if you hear my dog barking in the background, it's just cause he wants to say hi and he's really excited to hear about the show as well.
1: Oh, hi. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, so Jean having this presence, yeah. I can, I can, I never met her, sadly. I would have loved to have met her. You know, it's but,
1: funny because it's possible that you did because she came to several pointless shows no including kidding. she came to see canterbury both my no grandkids came to see canterbury so, so it's
0: maybe actually I did.
1: possible that you met her
0: wow anyway, no. oh man i would i i hope i did um <laughs> but you're i mean you're totally right that she has this presence because there is a series of recordings yeah. that we use for this show, which we'll get to in a second. But you can see in the recordings that she's just holding herself with this,
1: she had this energy. She had yes. this beautiful grace too. Yes.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and she also holds this like uh this really um fascinating uh scary uh amazing story within her too. Um And I think, I think we should just dive right in. So can you tell me more about where Rapine is and what happened there in 1932?
1: Okay. So my grandmother- Take me back. Take um, take me back to Rapine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to take you back to Poland, 1932. So my grandmother was born there in 1924- Okay. December 26th, 1924, to be precise.
0: Wow. Okay. That's interesting for later in the story. Okay. Interesting.
1: Interesting. And, you know, Poland at the time, especially getting into the 1930s was in a huge economic downturn. In addition to it being just not a great place for Jewish families to be living anymore, they lived. So Repina's was a town. It wasn't what you think of in, you know, like fiddler on the roof it wasn't like a shtetl out in eastern europe it was an actual town and they lived you know um in a small town and my bubby my Jean's father had family who had moved to france and so he actually went in 1931 to sort of check things out he was a tailor and made uh suits i believe Mm. Uh, although i think he made all kinds of things but he went there and decided it was just going to be a better place for his family to live Um, and I was actually just rereading my grandfather's memoirs where he talks about the the family in Poland and apparently a lot of the family had decided around that time to leave and not just to go to France but there were some members of the family who actually went to Brazil and Hmm. to some other places um, to sort of I, I don't think they were anticipating what was going to happen. I just think there was a feeling in Poland at the time that it just wasn't a safe place anymore. For... Well,
0: there was, I mean, I did a little bit of research yesterday. Obviously, you know the story way better than I do, but Hitler comes to power in early nineteen thirty-three. Right. And in the at the end of so by the end of nineteen thirty-two, he and his party had like one big in an election, but he so he wasn't like you know, the Fuhrer yet, but he was like on the rise. So I can imagine that that's like in the background of what's going on in their lives. And
1: you have to understand that, like, it's been a part of Prussia. It's been a part of Russia. It's been, you know, Poland sort of been pushed and pulled in all these different (laughs) directions throughout the early 20th century and everything that's going on in Russia with the revolution. And my great grandfather actually fought in world war one for like, I, some I don't know if it was like the czar's army somebody some army because it's just mm. like Poland was just I didn't even exist as a country because yeah. it had been like broken apart in piece pieces for so many of these other powers that surrounded it so they were like you know what this is this is not the place we want to be right now um, and so they moved to France they moved to a town called Besançon which is um in the Jura mountains. It's sort of in, uh, the Eastern, middle, middle Eastern part of France, not too far from the, um, Swiss border and not too far from the German border either. And they sort of settled in there pretty nicely. And, um, my grandmother who was pretty young at the time, I think she was only eight, learned French within four months and went to a normal school. And they sort of, settled in as best Did they could. Did
0: she use, like, a Duolingo? Or... Yeah, oh, absolutely. She, yeah. like,
1: downloaded the app. Cool, No, cool, but, cool. I mean, she, at being...
0: No, it's amazing. being
1: the older of the two children, and, of course, kids learn languages so much easier sure. than adults do. Sure. She was, She kind of became the de facto, like, going out and doing stuff and buying things and, you know, because she learned the language so much easier than her parents and was older than her much younger sister and, you know... Um, But yeah, I actually think, I believe she went into like a normal school, whereas in Poland, they had separate schools for the Jewish children and the Christian children. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did not
0: know that. Um,
1: In France, I believe she just went into the normal school there. Mm. and So was just sort of pushed into French culture as soon as they moved there.
0: That's fascinating. And I, so uh, just quickly on Poland, like I said, you know, this way better than me, but I believe at the time the Jewish population was about 10% of the Polish population. So there was like, um, there there was like a, uh, um, it was the largest, uh, concentration of Jewish people in Europe at the time, I believe. Yeah.
1: There was a very large Jewish population in Poland. And I, honestly, I, I don't know as much as I should. My parents went and visited, uh, repeating and they and they went to warsaw and they went Mm. to a really amazing incredible museum about the jews in poland Mm. um and i wish that i remembered anything they told me about it
0: (laughs) that's okay we can have them on a future episode separate
1: separate thing but a lot of my uh a lot of my bubby's family stayed in poland so a number of family members left but a number of them stayed behind and very few of them survived through the war Sorry to hear that, but
0: do you know what their, um, how, so like (laughs) modern Judaism, like is like there's, it takes a lot of forms, like from the Orthodox community, the ultra Orthodox community, all the way to like reform and all sorts of stuff. Obviously this is a different era, but like, were they going to temple, uh, every week or like, do you know what that, what. Judaism yeah. meant to them at the time.
1: That's a really great question. and I think so I watched so my grandmother did these series of interviews for the showa Foundation, and she talks a lot about her life that she remembers in Poland and then moving to france and it's it's been a little while since I watched them. but I believe part of the contention between her parents and her grandparents were that her grandparents, her grandmothers, who were still alive, were very conservative, in you know, in Judaism. Sure. And I think her parents were less so. Um, I think they were a little more modern. And um, and I think that was also one of the reasons they were, you know, willing to move somewhere like France right. where it would not, they weren't necessarily moving to be a part of a Jewish community.
0: Right. Um, yeah.
1: But... Yeah, it, you know, I, I don't really remember everything my grandmother said, but I, I don't get the impression that she was raised in a super, you know, orthodox upbringing. Hmm. Um.
0: Okay. Well, that's yeah. that's uh interesting to know. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. Okay, so she they leave <laughs> Poland. Yeah. They go to France. Yes. They are there, and I think you said life is pretty good?
1: Yeah, yeah. Life is
0: pretty good. Life is and, pretty good. And then what happens in 1940?
1: Right, so in 1940- So she is how
0: old in North- she's 14? Six, she's, okay,
1: she was born in 1924. Yeah, so she's so 16. So in 1940, she was 15, basically, okay. because her birthday's at the very end of the year. Right, right, okay. So in 1940, the Germans enter France and the takeover of paris is is pretty quick i mean i and like i said besancon is actually not far from the german border and it was one of the first places that the germans took sort of took over in -hmm. france Mm -hmm. and my grandfather was like we can't stay here we we have to leave and The biggest issue was that when he decided like, let's go, they wanted to get to Bordeaux, which is on the Western coast uh, where a lot of ships will come and take you to either United States or they had talked about maybe even going to Brazil to meet the family there. Um, My great aunt, so my Bubby Jean's sister Marie was Mm -hmm. sick. She had scarlet fever. And so the whole family couldn't leave together. So I think this was in June, they decided to go and i think the germans had entered france in around may so they were like well, they were they were really trying to make moves right
0: <laughs> i believe not to cut you off but from one of the readings that you have on the on the drive Italy enters the war on June 10th, 1940 Mm -hmm. France falls on June 17th. So like shit is happening. And then, and then Vicky France is installed by Vichy, excuse me, uh, is installed by June 24th. So it's like, boom, boom, boom in three weeks.
1: Really fast. And I mean, I think my grandfather having lived in Poland and knowing anti Semitism, right. like this is not a great place to be right now is like under German control. Yeah. And and so he and my and my grandmother, they left without um my great grandmother and, and Marie. They sort of were like, yeah. All right, well we'll get on a train, we'll go to Bordeaux, we'll, you know, post up there until you're ready to travel. And this is like, honestly, this next part of the story, if I may just like continue on, um, is one of my this this part of the story always was the thing that stuck out to me as a kid. And I really wanted to include it in the show, but it didn't get included anyways. So my grandmother, my great grandfather are on this train traveling to Bordeaux when they hear German airplanes overhead. And they start bombing the train. And my grandfather says to my grandmother, let's get under the train. Let's hide under the train. And so they do. They, they hide under the train. And I, listening to her recordings, she's, you know, she's talking about, he was saying, be quiet, be quiet. But we have to be quiet. And then there's just people streaming out of the trains. And anyone who starts running through the fields is getting strafed by, like, German Uh, airplanes and you know this 15 i I mean 15
0: years old yeah i I mean
1: and so they're hiding under the train and finally it settles down and everyone who has survived comes out and they're like what do we do now and so they just start walking down the train tracks um and luckily they are able to Get to the station. That's sort of the closest station. And there are, um, I think, French soldiers who are there, too. And they get on the next train available because they have no other option. And that takes them to Grenoble
0: which is where they end up for a couple years. And
1: Grenoble is further south. It's actually directly south of Besançon. So it's below the line of where sort of German occupied France and then what Vichy France became. And it actually eventually became part of Italian occupied France. It's all very confusing. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Vichy France is like partitioned into like, six different quadrants and there's governors and there's you know it's it's all all very
1: confusing but at the time grenoble was considered a safer place to be and luckily my great-grandmother and marie were able to leave in august without too much trouble cross the line and meet them in grenoble
0: so one of those i can't remember if it's i think it's that train story which also for me is like one kind of one of the standout moments of when she's telling it is like being on the train and all these people are are sitting all these passengers are sitting there and they have like their cats and dogs and birds Mm -hmm. and like it's like little details like that that when you hear her tell it like just totally um sort of like unlock the moment for me and like the the chaos that must have yeah. come afterwards or even oh. just the chaos even before the planes show up like
1: right well it's like those little details that stick in your brain you yeah. know and i'm sure we all have moments in our life where we're like and i remember the color of the shirt of the stranger i was sitting next to you yeah. know it's just yeah. things that stick in your mind forever
0: absolutely um, and I'm sure too, I don't know if she ever talked about, I guess this is a question I have for you because she doesn't talk about it in the recording that I've seen, but does she talk about, I can only imagine how scary it must have been to leave behind her mother and sister. Did, does she talk about <laughs> that? Or is there any recording, like writing yeah. or anything about like what that experience was like?
1: I don't really remember anything yeah. about that. And then and she does say later that, Her mother made several trips, actually, back to Besançon to try and get some more of their stuff. Wow. (laughs) Having, like, read more about it, I'm like, that seems dangerous and maybe a little bit unnecessary. I'm like, what kind of stuff was she getting? It was really
0: good stuff, though, You know, it was really good
1: stuff, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, (laughs) I know, I remember my mom saying that they had to leave the piano, and that was, like, a big deal.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Were they a musical family? Piano. I don't
1: know. I guess um, so.
0: Yeah. I guess.
1: I uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, owning a piano, I mean, that seems sure, like a yeah. big deal.
0: That is a big deal. Um, so what was, so, okay, so in 1940, all this shit happens. Yeah. They make it down to Grenoble, which mm-hmm. is a safer part of the country. And yes. then what is Vichy France like? What, right. what is it like to live there? What is it? I mean, we kind of alluded to the chaos of, you know, 12 different governors with, you know, and each one has its own government yeah. and affiliation. And yeah.
1: I mean, I, I feel like it probably a lot of it depended where you lived and right. what your situation was. It sounds like from, you know, reading and from hearing my grandmother talk about it, her parents were really trying to make sure they still lived a normal life. You know, they went to school, they went on vacations, they, you know, they had some good friends uh, that they would go on outings with. You know, they like they tried like they tried to maintain some kind of normalcy for their kids. And my grandmother got really involved with the sort of the Jewish Girl Scout movement, which was called the Eclaireuse Israelite at the time. And it was just, you know, a normal Girl Scout. It was a normal Girl Scout group uh, for, for a time. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't until sort of in 1942 when um, new, I don't know. I don't know if it was like new leadership in Vichy for no, I don't know. I'm don't trying to, I'm like, I just was heard something
0: like that. It, I, I, from what I read yesterday, there was some sort of things changed. Yes, and it sounded they, like the piece, the police were being way more aggressive for whatever right. reason.
1: So things changed in 1942, especially for who, my grandmother who was considered stateless, right? Her and her family didn't have, they weren't French.
0: Were uh, they living out as Jewish? Were they publicly, did people, if I was a friend of Jean's in Grenoble and I'm a 15-year-old kid going to school with her, do I know that she's Jewish or?
1: You might have. Okay. I'm not sure. It's unclear, you know, whether or not they were really hiding it from friends. But I don't think that they were like, they were not sort of obviously Jewish. Where they were living. And, um... Especially since starting at that time in 1942, there were roundups happening for Hmm. Jewish families, especially Jewish families who were not French. And most of those were happening at night and they would go, my my great grandparents would take the girls and they would actually walk separately to a friend's garage and they would stay the night there Hmm. on a lot of nights. So in case... You know, the French militia came; they wouldn't be home. Well, it was
0: probably a really nice garage with like heating and like like right, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: Um, But uh... yeah, no, I mean, there was there was sort of that that aspect of it of the the French militia sort of you know really starting to arrest more. Yeah. People and oh, the other big thing was that at the time, a lot of Jews had been sent to camps in France, and at this time, they started deporting the even children from the French camps uh, to some of the larger camps in like Poland, like Auschwitz and Dachau, and all these other places. So they were sort of really ramping up the you know Final Solution um, in France where it had sort of been on a slow burn to start now they were like all right all right we're with the program now
0: do you know if well okay two questions one do you know how so one of the I, i mentioned band of brothers at the beginning of this like one of the things that they show on that show and is in some other literature is like people Kind of knew, but kind of didn't, you know, like obviously the language was very obvious about like Hitler wasn't hiding his hatred for different types of people and what he wanted to do to different types of people, but there wasn't um a lot of like good journalism uh for a variety of reasons about the truth about what was happening, um which is like a historical tragedy obviously. Like do you but but there was like rumors of stuff. Like do you know if they knew what was going on or how much they knew at the
1: time? I I, I don't it's hard to say because I feel like people knew that something was happening. And so
0: obviously, because people are being rounded up and And, disappearing
1: part of this story is that Grenoble Mm. was sort of the heart and the hub of the French resistance.
0: Yes. Which I want to talk about. Like what, what, what does that look like? Uh, Anyway, finish what you're saying. And I want to talk more about the resistance. I
1: mean, my grandmother was because she eventually got involved through the scouts in helping children get from these camps over the border, she obviously knew about the existence of these camps and what was happening in them. You know, it wasn't something, you know, that they were aware that Jewish children at least and other obviously people who were active in the resistance movement were being um, targeted. And in many cases they were um, being killed when they were discovered.
0: Yeah. You know? What what do you know about the French resistance and Jewish resistance like in that period, like the 1940,
1: 1942 yeah. period there? So I actually got to go to Grenoble with my family. Wow. It was oh, so cool. Um, we went there in 2014. 20... 14,
0: 2020?
1: 2014. I don't know. pandemic No. And... <laughs> So part of the reason we went there was to see um, the place where my grandmother had stayed during that time, but was Mm. also to meet the family that had hid, hidden, hid, hid, they hid, they hid my (laughs) great-grandparents after my grandmother and great-aunt left. So there was a family in the mountains in a town called Morshapay who hid my great-grandparents, the Sorel family. So we went to Grenoble and there is a huge museum called like the resistance museum. And I went to the resistance museum and I even borrowed a book from my mom. Cause I knew you were going to ask me about it.
0: Yay. I love books. Yeah.
1: Here's the book. You, nobody here can see it because they,
0: <laughs> it's a beautiful only, book. They're only
1: hearing it, my voice. It's in it French. Looks like it's, so. it, it
0: has a French cover and it looks like it's maybe two to 300 pages
1: mm. No, it's
0: actually, it's, it's not that thick. Oh, it's not?
1: Okay. It's not super thick. It's 140 pages. Thank you. I, I
0: apologize. I apologize, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it it you, looks like it's like a kind of a big book and it has like a picture of a family
1: on the front? Or yeah, something people? like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it talks a lot that, I mean, okay. So the resistance in Grenoble, it was able to be there because it's right at the base of the mountains, right? Like right near the base of the Alps and like guerrilla fighters and all kinds of like like, pew, pew, pew kind of resistance fighters (laughs) were like hanging out in the mountains and were able to do stuff there. But because of that, it was also a hub for this, um, I don't know, you know, this way of getting jewish children at least in this case from these camps in france over the border into switzerland and they were able to do this with the help of various different like girl scout movements in this case or scout movements not just the jewish girl scouts but the like french protestant scout movement they provided them with false identification papers they provided them with uniforms so they looked like scouts and all kinds of things like that so it wasn't just like one organization it was like a bunch of different organizations that were able to sort of coalesce in in grenoble and make it happen yeah which is like super duper cool
0: it's unbelievable i mean it's like james bond stuff for Children escaping, you know the most—I don't know, like the greatest war, you know the the most horrifying circumstances. Yeah. It's it's amazing.
1: And I will tell you one of the coolest moments when we went to this museum because we just sort of figured it's a museum about World War II and the resistance. And I'm there with my mom. We're just walking through the museum, blah blah blah. I'm like, oh, there's a whole like. Space wall exhibit on Jewish resistance groups Let's go look at it because you know that's what Bubby was in and we go And I shit you not I swear to you We're like walking through And we both stop Because on the wall there is A picture and my grandmother's in it
0: Oh my god
1: And my mom just like started crying
0: Oh my god Rachel
1: And that picture is in this book
0: Oh uh. <laughs> and she has a different name in it whoa like a
1: fake name
0: wow a nom de plume
1: yeah a nom de plume exactly and um yeah we just like stopped and we're like
0: that's incredible i have shells like tears in my eyes
1: it it was amazing and i was like wow she was part of something really incredible not only that but like the and you look at this picture and they're all so young you know she was 17 and all the leaders who were doing this work they were so young you know they were 16 17 18 yeah. um kids you know they were kids i can Children. say that because i'm in my 30s i'm like no. Yes.
0: yeah right yeah exactly
1: <laughs> you know and it's i mean at that age i guess you're a lot more fearless than you are you know i as mean get older
0: <laughs> I, yeah because but, uh, yeah yeah I, I, okay. So what happens? So we're, we're in 1942 right, right now. What ha I mean, specifically what happens in December, 1942, but if there's anything before that too, that you want to sort of fill in, I'm, I'm interested in it as well. But like, I think December is kind of the crucial
1: yeah. month of I mean, 1942
0: for this story.
1: Like I mentioned, things just hadn't been great for, Jews even in Grenoble at the time with roundups happening and sort of having to hide at night so you didn't get arrested but in December of 1942 the militia like specifically came looking for my grandmother like they knocked on the door of her house and were like we're looking for you know Jean Gerta and she and she wasn't home
0: wasn't home
1: (laughs) she wasn't home thank goodness she she wasn't wasn't home home. or i probably wouldn't be alive today i
0: mean what a sliding doors moment i mean that is she was not home
1: but my great know where she was i don't know i have no idea
0: (laughs) unbelievable anyway
1: yeah i know so luckily for her she was not home and and my grandfather my great-grandfather was like you got it you gotta go you gotta go and there was another sort of transport coming in of of kids from various camps that they had sort of um, rescued from the camps and they were going to try and get over to Switzerland. And so she was going to go with, with Marie with her sister on that transport.
0: So I I believe the number that I have is 13 children plus her sister And there were two or three boys, but it was mostly girls. It was mostly
1: girls. Yeah. Yeah. And I just went back to read and it was like they were the ages between nine and 15. And (sighs) yeah. And so she was 17 at the time. And I I sort of I left this part out of the, the piece, which I hope everyone will. Watch. I'm assuming yeah. you will if you're listening to. it. If
0: you've that. made it this far in the show, like <laughs> you're gonna, you, should watch you should watch it. it. Yeah, watch you should it. watch it. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, there were other leaders who assisted her along the way. We kind of we kind of solared her up a little bit on this journey, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So there was there was support from some of the other. Uh, there was like a boy scout leader who accompanied her for part of the time as well, mm. who had done that journey a couple times
0: so that by that journey yeah. what we're referring to yes. is
1: so i'm talking about their journey from grenoble to the swiss border which was through a town called saint julien um, and if you look it up, it's really Saint Julien en Genévois, which is like in Genevois, You know, sort of um, right on the border of Geneva. There's multiple mm. Saint Julians, so you got to add that little like. oh I yeah. see. <laughs> I see.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> Do you have to add the uh-huh, uh, at the uh-huh, uh-huh. end? Okay. Okay. Got it.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So this was a, this was a well used route. And I actually think I went back and reread this because I couldn't remember if my grandmother had done this, had done any part of this route before. And I believe she had done this train ride before with a group, although she had never crossed them into Switzerland. But she had gone with them to the border.
0: And, and, yeah. and had come back And had come home, and, right. And now in late December of 1942 it's
1: her turn to it's her turn it's December to 24th to be specific so it is Christmas Eve in you know in France in France. 1942
0: 1942 which is another amazing little detail of this story and I think it, it um I don't know like adds a certain color to the background of events to come because it's uh It's Christmas. Oh, absolutely. And I didn't know that her birthday was two days away as well. Her 18th birthday is... Her 18th birthday. What a way to enter adulthood. Good Lord. Right? Okay. So it's Christmas Eve, 1942. What happens?
1: Right. So she... Having been a troop leader of a bunch of Jewish brownies, basically Girl Scouts, some of the parents of her brownies were like you're gonna go please take our kids with you so also that was a big part in addition to her having like the responsibility of leading a group of kids she didn't know she also had a number of children in her care that she knew very well and cared for Mm. very deeply in addition to her sister you know Mm. So it just, it adds an extra little, you know, layer it of does. like, oh, these are children that I've been leading and caring for for a long time. I'm not saying that you wouldn't care for kids that you have just met, but you know, of there's course. like an added layer.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and of course me now being a parent, all I can think about is like these parents were like, <sighs> like send their kids on these kinds of journeys. I mean, you know, it's like,
0: and just you happening know.
1: every day now. Like you look at <laughs> God, you look at Afghanistan and you like you look at yeah. anywhere and you're just like, of course, I want my kids to be safe. Yeah, you
0: know? absolutely. But that's
1: a that's a whole nother discussion. You know?
0: but it's a part of it. As it well. is a part of it. It's yeah. a part
1: of it. But like, I can't, you know, obviously, when I was a kid, I thought about my grandmother and her story. Now I'm like, oh, now I think about my great grandparents and their story of having. Oh, to, yeah. Having to say goodbye to their children. Yeah. send them on a train to hopefully make it make it you know and
0: and, you know they don't they don't know for some time for some time
1: yeah whether
0: what happened yeah
1: just sort of sitting and waiting and wondering you know oh god (sighs) 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 Uh,
0: okay so she leaves grenoble yeah. with these scouts. Again, yeah. just, just so people know, if, if, if they aren't familiar with the story, they're dressed as Girl Scouts. They have false identification. They
1: have false I- they've gone... The, the French Girl Scout movement has provided them with scout uniforms, like French Girl Scout uniforms with identification papers, with anything that they would sort of need to travel in France at the time. Yeah. And so they're on the train... And as they're traveling, the train compartment opens up and German soldiers uh, walk into the train. Uh, and this this part of the story, I really remember. I remember my grandmother telling this part of the story and she just says, all right, everyone start to sing like your Girl Scout. And she just gets them all to sing. And the, and the German soldiers speak. Because, well, you know, it's a bunch of Girl Scouts, you know. Just
0: singing, and it's Christmas Eve. singing. Yeah, whatever.
1: And then that that part of the story has, like, always been, you know, the one that I always remembered as a kid.
0: Yeah.
1: And so they get to the town. They get to San and they have to cross the town to meet... Peasant who's gonna show them she refers so my grandmother refers to him as like a French peasant, and I'm like, he was probably like a resistance fighter. Come on, buddy, and like <laughs> calling him a French peasant. We got a French peasant on the edge of town. I'm like,
0: no. One of the most amazing things about the story. Well, there's so many amazing things about the story. I shouldn't say one of the most amazing, but an amazing thing about the story is that she can't recall his name, which to <laughs> me is like it says something about the moment that they were in that they were so swept up and like, we have to go, that they didn't exchange names or anything. Like no. this guy was, a- anyway, we'll we'll discover <laughs> what this guy does for them. Right. And he's like, we have to go. And they just go. And like, almost this anonymous sort of contact <laughs> takes place.
1: Well, I'm but, sure whatever names that leads... he would have given would have been a false right. one anyway.
0: Right, you yeah. You know, like they
1: wouldn't have been giving real names.
0: I mean, it's just, it's it's amazing okay anyway so she she, they get to San Julien yeah. outside of uh, Geneva right and ha huh, 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 and huh, huh. they meet this French yeah. peasant and yeah. he says
1: and he says I'm not going to take you over the border
0: and she's like what the fuck
1: yeah. what, are you,
0: what are you talking about He's
1: like isn't that your job yeah. um, no he's you know he says that he took a group the day before and they were caught and that he can't his he says i can't have that on my conscience i just i can't do it and my grandmother says well we can't go back (laughs) we can't we can't go back you know um and i'm not going to i mean like you have to you have to hear it in her own words yeah. because it's one of the most
0: she she breaks she she emotional she,
1: things moments when she talks about just this responsibility that she's been given and that she you know she can't fail these children you know uh, yeah. she's made promises that she has to keep these children her sister she has to keep them safe and she can't go back and I mean, eventually, the French peasant slash resistance fighter, we'll call him Albert, I don't know, like give him a French <laughs> name. <I'll wait>. Um, he <laughs> says, you know, okay, fine, I'm not going to take you all the way across, but I'll point you the way with my bicycle. You
0: and know, he has I'll, this this little red, red bicycle light. light, right? Yeah.
1: Says, you know, you can follow my light, and then I'll point you the direction of Switzerland.
0: So basically what he's doing... <laughs> Again, for people who haven't heard this story before, he's just riding, I don't know, 25 feet, whatever, ahead of these kids that he's never met before, and he has a... its it's pitch black. It's nineteen forty two. They're yeah. not like quality street lamps happening probably.
1: No one has their cell phone light out. Right. Like Google Maps, show me where like where's Switzerland well, at, Siri, you know. And that,
0: and that yeah. really comes into play in yeah. the this next part of the story. And all they have is just this little red tail light.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I I mean and I just like, you know, it's snowing, it's cold, it's dark, yeah. you know, all the things that make a good story, but also terrifying.
0: Oh, a hundred percent.
1: And so they, they go, they follow him. Cause what else, what else are they going to do? Right. What are their other choices in this moment? And so they follow him. And this is a part of the story that Frank that you know very well, because for those of you who aren't aware, Frank was one of the, uh, designers on the piece, and this was his section in in this piece. I don't know, Frank. Do you want to tell this part of the story, or
0: oh, um, <laughs> I'm I'm happy to, but you know, it is your story, and and so you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I I was so first of all, I just want to say I've never, I've said this to you a thousand times, but I was I was truly like so honored to be a part of this, and like it was also very intimidating to work on a show that's like so personal to someone and like a part of your family. And like, I wanted to like honor your family and this story. And it was like a really, well, I know it sounds cheesy, but <laughs> but it really was like a huge honor to to work on this show. So I just want to say that and thank you for the opportunity to work on this show. Um, the Okay. So we're in Saint-Julien. She meets the French peasant Albert. And he says, I'm going to get on my bike and you're going to follow me. And so they follow him out of the city. And there are like people singing in the city, you know, Christmas carols and people are drunk and stuff. And then they get out into the countryside and they start passing by a vineyard. And then they get into the forest and like a little bit more rural area. And then they lose him they lose track of him and this is one of the quotes that really stands out to me. Well, there's two quotes. I should back up a little bit. I love when Jean says, well, I guess I was brave, but, and I forget what it, what she says after that, but I love th- the way she phrased brave. that. Cause she, I don't
1: know. I don't know. She says, I don't know. I guess I was brave. You know,
0: it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and so she she gets out there and um, follows this guy on his bike, and then and then she says well, they, they lose him, and then she says, and it was just black, just pitch black, and all you could st- see were the stars in the sky, and that's
1: no, and, and the that's, snow on the ground,
0: and the snow on the ground, and that's it. That's yeah. and at this point in the story where we, where we leave at the end of my section is is. Um, they're just alone and they don't know where they are. They don't know if they're in France. They don't know if they're in Switzerland. They don't know. Um, I believe in this was a, I can't remember where I read this, but I believe they like ran into a German or, or French peasant woman or something along the way. And in, in one telling of the story. Um, well, that's
1: later. That's later. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll get there then. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get there. Oh,
0: oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. 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 Anyway, um. So anyway, that's where, where my section ends is it's just dark. Being and there's- left,
1: Being left in the dark, their one sort of guide is gone. Yeah. And my grandmother is in charge. You know, she's sort of left to decide where to go next. And they're walking and they're surrounded by vineyards on either side and she just has to decide which way to go she's she's, like,
0: she says in the recording on a hunch
1: on a hunch she's on a like, hunch she we'll decides where right. to go you know
0: unbelievable unbelievable
1: uh, I mean, it's like well i'm glad she had a good hunch um, <laughs>
0: yeah, thank god
1: you know the hunchiest of hunches i don't know it's just like ah, oh, i guess we go this way um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean they did encounter uh, you know they heard german soldiers and she describes them as being drunk and singing christmas songs and you know and so they hide while the soldiers pass and then they like she she, says, she right.
0: asks these little kids like 9 years old to just lay on the ground yeah. in the snow and just like, be quiet.
1: She specifically, she says, "lay on your tummies." On
0: your tummies. You know? On
1: your tummies. And try
0: not to cough or you know. Don't, you know.
1: Sneeze, don't cough. Just lie on your tummies. And I'm like, that's how I would speak to my kids. Like <sighs> tummies, you know, like. You, know?
0: you gotta use little kid words.
1: Um, but yeah, and they like as soon as the soldiers pass, they just run. They just like run across, and. They have no idea where they are. They're walking on this road. They have no idea,
0: and, and it's probably like what eleven o- midnight. I don't. I have I mean, no, you I, know, it
1: might not even be that late because at that time she says yeah. it's dark by four o'clock. I have no conception of how long they were walking for.
0: It's a four-hour walk according I mean, to Google Maps. Is that right?
1: I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, because it's really not that far. Like the right. border to Switzerland from Saint Julien. It's like one mile it's not yeah. far you yeah. know but i don't know the route they took you know yeah. it, the exact route it's so hard to say so like they could have been walking for an hour or they could have been walking for three i have no idea right you know
0: and if they were walking for an hour it probably felt like three you know right, exactly. like like this, I mean, so there's they no way to tell
1: for 45 minutes but it felt like an eternity yeah you of know?
0: course of course
1: but so they there they are. They're, like, on a road. There's finally a light, and a woman walks out of the woods <laughs> carrying a bundle of sticks. I'm imagining this, like, old witchy lady who's like, you know? <laughs> and my grandma there is, you know, she's got to keep up appearances, she says. I mean, and I'm like, who's going to believe this? Me right. and my brownies were, like, my scouts. We got lost, you know? We, we don't know where we are, you know? And... The lady turns to her. And of course, this is like the line. This is, you know, you're safe. You're in Switzerland, you know, and it's like every time I I hear her say that every time I, you know, hear this line, I just get choked up and emotional. Yeah, me too. Just thinking about, okay, she just heard these words, you're safe here in switzerland and this woman knew she knew the she's woman that's
0: her. that's the thing right you know, The she woman know. At this
1: poor young yeah. young woman and these yeah. children who are like clearly terrified out of their minds and, and she's knows. Really like,
0: cold they're probably shaking i mean know? it's like
1: who who's taking their scouts on like a pleasure walk <laughs> through the woods on christmas eve you know yeah, right like, yeah
0: exactly yeah
1: um yeah so she must have known so yeah i mean and and that's sort of where our our telling of the story ends for the show. But of course that's not where the story, that's not where the story ends, but that's where that, that's where that story
0: ends. Well, we well give us a little bit of where, cause I want to get to the show. I think it's yeah. important to talk about the show. Obviously that's, that's coming up. I want everybody to watch it who is listening. Um,
1: spoiler but, alert. We just like told you the whole story. Well,
0: yes, I, spoiler alert in retrospect. Um, if you're tuning in now and you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen to the previous thirty <laughs> minutes of this podcast. Um, and if you already listened to it, then you're still gonna love the show because yeah. there's all sorts of things to love, which we'll get to in a second. But just to kind of put a little bow on what happens next, what happens next? Yeah, like what what they they make it there and then what?
1: They make it to Switzerland. And they get taken to sort of the oh gosh, what's it called? Oh, you know where people.
0: <laughs> it's like a detention center. or no, something. No, not quite
1: yet. You know, like a where where somebody checks visas and um, customs. Customs. Yeah, yeah. they like yeah. To like a, they get taken to like a customs house, and um, the big problem is that Switzerland has just recently decided that they're only going to be accepting children and children in this case count as 16 and under
0: mm.
1: And my grandmother not only she's 17 but she's about to turn 18 which is like adult adult yeah. and she has to convince them that she is a guardian to all of those kids that they need to let her in because if they don't they won't have that if they don't let her in that these children will have nobody to take care of them and she says she thinks it's because it was christmas eve and everybody was a little bit drunk
0: and in a good mood
1: and in a good mood yeah that they they let her that they let her stay because she could have been turned back They, they they would have kept the kids but they might have sent her back you know My favorite part, because I didn't know this part of the story until I watched this interview with her, is that she was keeping her real papers in her bra. And she says, I went into my bra to take out my papers. And it's like this (laughs) image of a very classy grandmother reaching into her bra to take out her, like, you know, get her papers from out of there. But, you know. And then they. Um, Yes. But here's the thing about about the sixteen. Is that as a kid growing up, I always believed that it was 18 that they were turning people away because her birthday was on the 26th. They were going to turn her away because she was about to turn 18. That was sort of the family story I always knew. But then actually going back and reading it and watching it, her interviews, I was like, oh, actually, it was 16. So she would have been turned back no matter when her birthday was.
0: Right. She was she was rolling the dice too like everybody was kind of rolling the dice of like we hope that this happens and
1: yeah yeah. i mean i think switzerland had been taking refugees who were all ages but they had just been there had just been there were too many yeah too many people crossing the border and they kind of said all right well we're gonna just we're just gonna take kids now
0: and they so they make it there and then there's a threat that Marie and Jean might be split too, right?
1: Yeah, they were split. So, um, they, the kids were all sent to different refugee camps based on their ages. Mm. And so they were, they weren't together in Switzerland for, pretty much the whole time that they were in Switzerland.
0: Which was um, three years?
1: Let's or see. two years, it, ago. It, it was, years, closer, yeah, it was more yeah. like two. It was more like two years. And, and she could visit. They did visit each other.
0: Right. Marie goes back and sees her parents, right?
1: No, not during the war.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I, I think um, I misread something.
1: But they were able to send letters back okay. to... Grenoble because they had a friend in Grenoble who was willing to sort of be the uh, the letter the letter acceptor and as I briefly mentioned my great-grandparents were hidden by a family by um, a couple who had a a young son at the time in a small town in the Alps and so my great-grandmother would walk the I don't know seven or eight miles down the mountain to get letters to find out what was going on with Jean and Marie. And um well, yeah and, and then also also I love this part of the story. She would bring so my great grandfather who was a tailor, I mentioned this, he would sew suits up in the mountains where they were hiding and send them down with my great grandmother so she could try and sell hmm. them in Grenoble on her like trips down the mountain, you know, she's that's like amazing. carry a bag of suits, carry back a couple letters. I don't, you know, it's just that's like, amazing. you make it work. You make it work.
0: And, and they're still, your family is still in touch with that family. Yes. Correct.
1: So that's when, when we went in 2014, yeah. we met with the son at the time. Um, He was like 12 at the time. And we met with him in 2014. He was, you know, and a grandfather and we met with his kid wow. and the whole family and it was wow. it was incredible. I mean, um And you have
0: pictures of that, yeah. right? Like Yeah, you know.
1: we do have pictures. It was I mean it's just a beautiful place too. Sheep on the you know, it's just like sheep everywhere and just beautiful mountain views and it
0: was and I'm sure gorgeous. everybody's crying and everyone's
1: crying, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
0: um and then they're reunited post-war with their parents correct yeah
1: Uh, yeah they were they were they they made it back to grenoble after the war where they were reunited with their parents and then they actually all eventually moved back to besancon again
0: oh wow i didn't know that and they have that great picture that i love so much in 45 (laughs) of them toasting can you yeah. describe that photo
1: okay so this photo is incredible for a couple reasons one is that both my grandmother and my great aunt marie have the most ridiculous hair style <laughs> I've ever seen in my whole life like it's like a kind of a pompadour situation I, it's right a pompadour but it's like I, I mean it's like twice the size of their heads. it's <laughs> insanely amazing i love it so much it's so good
0: you should bring it back
1: i will not um <laughs> I'll, I'll consider it. I'll consider it. Um, but also, I love that like everyone looks so happy, but then my great yeah. grandfather has this like very stern look on his face.
0: He's very serious.
1: <laughs> very serious. He was probably
0: thinking about a suit he had to make. You know? I know he was like, ah, yeah.
1: how many stitches does this need? Um, <laughs> and I asked my mom. I said something. I was like, was was your grandfather like super? salty you know like was he a serious guy just like no i don't i mean he was sometimes but so i i don't know maybe it was something in the wine they drank you know (laughs) (laughs) know, extra serious he's just extra serious during that photo but it's a beautiful picture it
0: it really is it really is okay so on that happy note let's talk about the show
1: (sighs) yes let's
0: when did you know that you wanted to adapt the story into a show?
1: Oh goodness! Um I you know, I feel like I've been wanting to 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 do that for quite a long time, yeah, but I wasn't sure in what way and how yeah. you know, yep. like did I want it to be a play? Did I you know, I just like I couldn't imagine it in any way. And and then when we were talking about workshops, We
0: being Pointless Theater Pointless Company. Theater, yeah, uh-huh. sorry. Uh, Which is a theater company in DC that we're both, uh, we are both company members. Company members of. Of. Yeah.
1: So Pointless Theater sort of relaunched the workshop series. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I would be interested in creating this as a basically in my mind a digital animation. I was like thinking about animating the story. Um, And I've always loved animation in general, um, just as a format. And I thought it would be a really nice way to tell this story. But it seemed extremely daunting, having had no experience in animation at all. And I details,
0: details. Details.
1: I'm like, who needs to have experience doing something? <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Yeah, um, we'll fix it in post.
1: Well, exactly. We'll yeah. Fix it in post. Yeah. So I was like really uncertain about it, but I was pushed by several people to propose it as a as a project, um, and I'm really glad that I did. <laughs> and uh, people were really drawn to the story. I think so. I I can't remember. Do you remember Frank when we sort of did our like soft proposals was that like last fall i don't know I don't. yeah know. that sounds right
0: like this um, is so we're in 2021 now so that was last yeah. it was in 2020 it was pandemic time so we were yes. trying to pointless is trying to figure out how to do something artistic and collaborative e- even during pandemic times right. so yeah
1: so i i proposed it like i was like this is a story that i love and would like to tell and a number of people reached out to me and were like we love this. We'd love to help you. We want to help you make this happen. And I was really touched. I really was by, by some of the responses. And then when it came time to sort of put in sort of be like, okay, no, really I want to do this, this hard proposal time. I was having a really hard time with it. You know, it seemed like a really difficult Task that I had set for myself, and I wasn't sure I was up for it. Honestly, I mean, we're also talking like you know, <sighs> December, January of pandemic,
0: like yeah, yeah,
1: deep, dark months, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: like, not a very happy time
1: not not a there's happy an
0: insurrection time. happening over yeah, here there's, there's like, a yeah all yeah.
1: kinds of stuff yeah. and like i was not in a great place and sure. i was like why would i even try to accomplish something artistic right now sure and again the same people and i have to i mean like can i like give shout shout oh, outs absolutely. Like, yes mel and eric and sadie came to me and the three of them were like we want to help you make this happen and I would not have been able to do it without them, without Damn. their, like, enthu- not just enthusiasm, but, like, support and just, you know, I'm not someone who is great at asking for or accepting help
0: mm-hmm. in general. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a whole episode <laughs> on its own. Yeah, Right. I mean, yeah.
1: it's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, so the fact that, you know, they just gave it to they like, we're like, we're going to give you this. This assistance because we want this to happen and we want to help you make this happen. It was like something that was just, I mean, uh,
0: best friends, best people. Great. Right, Love you, Mel. Love you, Eric. Love you, Sadie. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for that. Yeah.
1: So, so yeah. And it, and it just jumped, we just jumped into it. And- so
0: the show has a title. Yes. Why is it titled Un. A kilometre à uh, pied. One
1: kilometre.
0: Kilometre à pied.
1: Metre. metre. Not
0: metre. Met met metre. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Un kilometre à pied. 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 God damn it! I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there.
1: <laughs> um, um, why is the title that you know yeah. it took so? It took so long. Mm-hmm. To come up with a title for this piece.
0: Titling things sucks. For people who haven't created a thing before, coming up with a title
1: sucks. It was really, really hard. Super yeah. hard. Um, so, when I went to watch this interview with my grandmother... Okay, so let me... I feel like we haven't actually fully explained this. In it's a really ni- good
0: point. you know, yeah. In
1: 1996, my grandmother did an interview with the Shoah Foundation, which I actually went and looked at their website recently. I'm pretty sure it was founded after um, Steven Spielberg made Schindler's List. Um, It was sort of an outcropping of that in a way to um, document genocide. So the Holocaust, but they also, the Shoah Foundation documents other genocides as well, not just the Holocaust. And they went all over the world to document Holocaust stories and do these interviews. And my grandmother was interviewed. And I had actually never watched through the whole really? interview. Wow. Yeah, never. My mom had given me. It was originally on a VHS tape because you know 1996. Sure. And my mom had made DVD copies for all of us, and so I had these DVDs sitting in my house forever, and had never watched them. So I finally was like, hey, I, I want to do a show about this story. Maybe I should actually watch this thing, <laughs> you know, this interview. I'm sitting and I'm watching it. And she gets to the part of the story where they're crossing Saint-Génien. And she says, okay, we're crossing the town. Everyone's singing because it's Christmas Eve. So why don't we sing so that we like feel
0: we're like,
1: yeah, yeah, Girl Scouts. And so I just started singing with them this French marching song, un kilomètre à pied, ça ése, ça use, un kilomètre à pied. And that, that's what does what she, it mean? So it means like one kilometer by foot, it wears down your shoes. Two kilometers by foot, it wears down your shoes. And it's a count, you count, you know, as you go, right?
0: It's the ants go marching.
1: It's the ants go marching, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this is a song that my grandmother taught us as kids.
0: Huh. when
1: we were children.
0: I didn't know that. That's amazing. I and love that. And when we would go
1: for walks, you know, we'd go for our nice little hikes in Southern California and the mountains because, you know, that's yeah. what you get to do when you live near Pasadena. <laughs> but, um, and as soon as I heard, I had no idea when I watched this interview wow. that this song had that connection at all. Like, I just thought, it's a friend, it's a song my grandmother taught me. And I just started... So like sobbing,, yeah. I started sobbing when she said that, yeah. because I was like, oh my god, i I never knew this piece of her story was a <sighs> you know
0: like yeah it's beautiful it's a part it, of
1: my life and i never knew that while she was alive you know and she like I, she
0: obviously knew she yeah, was passing she, that song you know, and it's on something to you
1: that i had sung like i i had sung with charlie with my son like just walking you <sighs> know it's, just like a, it's like a walking song and i had no idea it had this like connection to this story
0: it's beautiful
1: and so that's i i think that's why i was like drawn to To this song, in particular, and like why it sort of became the title, and just the idea of like every footstep forward, and and from the beginning of this project, a theme I had always talked about was this idea of forward momentum of just constantly moving forward, like taking the next step, and
0: from *Bison Sand* to. Grenoble yeah. to San Julien to Switzerland, Switzerland and to, just like yeah.
1: always being willing to take the next step and put that foot in front of the other foot and just doing right. it because you know because you have, you have to, to. You,
0: have you have to, to. <laughs> yeah um so tell me more and tell the audience more about how this show is being adapted because it's not like so one pointless is a theater company But This is not like a traditional theater production and nor is this like a traditional sort of uh, it's not zoom theater. We're not doing a cold reading of a a script or something like that. Can you tell us more about if I'm uh, an audience member and I tune in for the show, like what am I going to see?
1: You're going to see a film. You're going to watch a movie, Mm. you Mm. know? Mm. I, I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's, a series of five digital shorts, short films that tell one story. Um, and honestly, I mean, really, it's just a, a it's a different way of thinking about animation, I think. A lot of it is there's some stop motion, there's some really beautiful shadow puppetry. But when it's filmed, I mean, it's it's basically, it's animation, right? That's what yeah. it is. Um, and the way we've done this is we we split the story into five parts. So from Grenoble to Switzerland, we we sort of pieced out five different sections and kind of just handed them off to five different design teams. And we were like, make something cool with this part of the story.
0: And when I tell you, audience, (laughs) that each piece is totally different, I mean totally different. Like we didn't, as as someone who was a designer on one of the pieces, we like we all kind of went off in our own directions, and then like met up and kind of shared what we were what we were thinking. And each piece is like what it like weirdly has some like common threads which are like unifying and like amazing that it happened that way but you know there was a
1: director so of course which which
0: is which is rachel of (laughs) course our amazing director (laughs) but also there is like it visually is so unique i I don't know like i don't want you to go too far into it but like can you just kind of give an overview of, uh, I, I don't know. Do you want to just speak to the different visual styles? Yeah. Or?
1: I mean, I just feel like everyone had a different idea of how they imagined the story looking, which was so cool. And I wanted to encourage that, you know, and. Yeah. I came up with, a. I did come up with like a style guide, right? At the very beginning. I was like, you know, everyone. Character
0: consistency. Character, some
1: character consistency is like everything should move from the left to the right and things like that to sort of keep the story consistent. But other than that, I was like, I, you know, I, I trust these people. I was like, you know, I, I, I felt like I needed to give people space to create what they wanted to. You know, and,
0: and you I, did. And, and you I did, did, Rachel. And I I I'm I'm just gonna be a little bit um thankful to you here, like working with you as a designer, especially like in a COVID <laughs> pandemic piece. You know, it's right? like such a weird circumstance to be creating art together, but like you couldn't have been more um supportive of everybody and like embracing of everybody's vision and like and some people's vision like our piece is a shadow piece but then navi who comes after us their piece is like uh like it's um what oh i'm like blanking on the the term right i'm I, so sorry navi. navi
1: said something about oh gosh yeah, it's navi. like glitch
0: art right it, is that what it, it's called
1: well okay so glitch art is a part of it but i like that navi calls it digital puppetry
0: digital puppetry yes i
1: love the idea and you'll see when you watch it yeah. like that the mouse is the puppet you know yeah. and just making your computer screen come to life in a way that you might not have conceived of it before yeah and i mean and this is one of the reasons i love working with pointless is that everybody is so can i say
0: fuck? can i say fuck? yeah go <laughs> ahead so
1: fucking creative like <laughs> and in a way though that that respects them that respects the story in the piece it's yeah. not like i'm gonna make art to make art it's like i'm gonna make art to enhance the storytelling right you know yeah
0: absolutely there's like a reason why a certain artistic medium is selected to tell right. the story in a certain like like for speaking for the part that i worked on like they're going from light to dark. Right. So like playing with shadow puppetry yeah. was like particularly compelling because it was, um, this journey of light and shadow and, uh, you know, ending in this big black, you know, <laughs> scary void at the end of it. Um, yeah. And it's, I, it's
1: Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No,
0: no, no, sorry. please go ahead.
1: I was just going to say also just, Giving, especially like for you and for Eric, who you were working with, and everyone, everyone giving everybody,
0: Lee Gerstenhaber, Kira Corden, (sighs) Mike Wench, Navi, uh, Mel Beeler, Sadie Rothman. We've mentioned her, or Sadie Lee. We we mentioned her. I mean, it's been an amazing group of people to work on this with. Just
1: like I, I mean, even for me, doing things it's a workshop piece right like i say that kind of in quotes because i, mean,
0: I think it's, it's turned into a fucking full production let's full be production. honest I mean, yeah.
1: i'm serious but the idea of it being a workshop piece was to allow people to try things they had never done before right that's kind yep. of the idea of workshops is being yeah, like, okay totally. just do something you've never done to try it and see how it turns out and i would say so many people in this project are all doing things they've never done before uh, me included you know i mean a, a three minute animation like come on like it's fucking awesome with mike of yeah. course and patty like i mean like that's so cool i've never done that and yeah. just being able to have, i mean thank you pointless for like yeah thank giving you pointless. us money
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Here, take this money and do this these things and you've never done thing. before <laughs> yeah yeah um that's really cool you know it really
0: is it really is. Um, okay. Last question for you, because yeah. I know we're we're running long. You have two amazing children. Asleep. are
1: asleep. Thank
0: the, thank the good Lord. And you deserve to get some sleep as well. Um, but before you do, my last question for you is what parts of or what are, I don't know, what's one or two or whatever, however many you want to share, what parts of the story weren't able to make it into the show... <sighs> But you, but you want to share with the audience, like that you, that like kind of stick out to you. We mentioned the bombing of the train is like really an amazing or like just a uh, harrowing and like important chapter of the story that wasn't able to make it into the piece. But are there is there anything else left on like the cutting room floor, so to speak, that like you just want to <laughs> share because it's amazing or remarkable yeah, in some no, way? Yeah, I feel
1: like I've mentioned a lot of the pieces of the story that got left out but I always had this image from the start of working on this piece of letters going back and forth between Switzerland and my great-grandparents hiding in this farm in the mountains and I always had that picture of like the letter flying from one place to the other and them still being connected even though they were far away and that never made it in
0: But But it kind of is in the interstitial stuff, now that I'm thinking about it.
1: And that's sort of where all of that came from. That's cool. Is this idea of the story being told back to the parents after the fact, you know? That's
0: really cool. I never knew that.
1: With, like, the postcards. So there's, like, postcards and letters and, like, these, like, little bits and, like, a train ticket and, you know, this. It's, like, things that have been kept and then sent back, you know? I don't know. I just love this idea of retelling the story so many times in so many different ways. Yeah. And, but like, what was that first telling when they saw their parents again? Oh know?
0: my God.
1: <laughs> or in that letter. Uh. And I don't have those letters. I don't know where those letters are. Like, I don't know if they survived. You know. <sighs> um, and as an archivist, which we never really got into that, but that's like really okay.
0: Another that episode. Can, another, episode. another episode. Yeah.
1: Um, not having those letters, you know?
0: Maybe they're out there somewhere, you know? Yeah. Maybe you'll find them. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I just want to say, before we wrap up, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that this has been, I'm sure, a really um, daunting process for you. Very. (laughs) A lot to share and to trust in other people. And I have been so impressed with your leadership and your work ethic and your um, generosity of sharing this and and trusting all of us with this story and i i really it's been such an honor to work on it it's been such an honor to to talk to you tonight and to be able to capture this conversation and hopefully share gene's story a a little further um and i just want to say thank you it's i i love you so much you're such a dear friend and um i i'm like so honored to work with you as an artist and i just i i can't say thank you enough for the opportunity to work on this show
1: thank you frank that means a lot and this i i don't think i've ever worked so hard on anything before i've I've worked on a lot of stuff in my life you've
0: worked fucking hard on a lot of stuff i've worked
1: fucking hard on a lot of stuff and i i like i'm gonna be september 11th i'm gonna be i don't know i'm gonna be an emotional wreck because i put I've put a lot into this in a way that I haven't in other things before. And I'm so grateful for you, for everyone who's been involved and has, you know, made it happen.
0: Well, you mentioned September 11th. What happens on September 11th? What are so we doing?
1: We are going to be doing... I'm glad we waited until an until hour. The very
0: Something end. Yes. so nobody is yes. still listening.
1: Um, <laughs> September 11th, we are going to be doing a public showing of Un Kilometre à Pied. It will be... We will show the film... Plus have a panel, which will include some of my family, including my mother and possibly one of my or two of my sisters and some of the designers who will be talking about the piece. And you can sign up to watch the public showing through, um, do you have yeah I do.
0: Yes. Right. If you just go to uh pointless com theater with a R E not E R um, or find pointless theater on your favorite social media app uh, you can sign up for a free ticket it's free 99 free. to come to this free, there's free. no reason that you shouldn't do it it is it's a one night only event it's free one and, hour not and
1: even
0: not even an hour the show itself is what 30 minutes and then there's going to be a little talking afterwards and yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And clearly neither of us like talking so yeah,
0: yeah exactly and when i tell you it is worth it i am I, I am biased hundred percent because this is a dear friend and it's a theater company that I care about. And, uh, I was a part of this, but I was a really small part of it. And I have, I, I, I cannot wait to see how it comes together. And I have been so, um, amazed by this process and I am just so excited to see it come together. So uh, September eleventh, seven thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes,
1: yes, yes. That's the time.
0: Um. Anything else before we sign off, Rachel?
1: I got nothing.
0: Okay. Any good jokes?
1: Uh, knock knock. Who's there? Beak. Beak who? Beak. Careful crossing the street. Oh, that's, that's good. Char- that's Charlie's favorite joke, right? I love now.
0: that. I love that joke. Oops. Um. I heard this one the other day. Um I just learned to I just learned that Albert Einstein is real. Mhm. I always thought he was a theoretical physicist. Oh. Yeah, right. It's pretty good.
1: Oh. It's pretty good. Well, did you hear about the fire at the circus?
0: Uh-uh, what happened?
1: It was intense. <laughs>
0: All right, on that happy note, thank you so much to Rachel Menyak for joining me. Uh, please, please, please go check out pointlesstheater.com or find Pointless Theatre on your favorite social media app. Go there today and reserve your free ticket for the show. The show is Saturday, September 11th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, audience, so much for joining me uh, for this episode of Let's Be Frank. This episode was recorded on August 22nd, 2021. Our theme music is from the inimitable Aaron Black. My name is Frank Severich, and you can find every episode of Let's Be Frank on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. If you like what you heard, leave a rating and a review, like and subscribe. Also, check out the Frankpage.com. Have a great day and keep being Frank. Bye!